The insight. insight. The insightum. Podcast. Genetics. Human. Archaeology. Denisovans. Neanderthals. Metabolism. Ancestry. Where in the world did we come from? I am. Unique. DNA. Genome. From Austin, Texas. Texas. Hey everybody, this is Razib Khan here with the Insight Podcast, and I have a very, very special episode. Uh, we have a very interesting, um, you know, kind of topic that some of you are probably familiar with. Uh, we're going to be talking about a paper that's out in nature that talks about the contact between Native Americans and Polynesians, in particular in the context of Easter Island and the Marquesas. And, um, you know, like I'll have a link in the show notes to the paper. Uh, it's Native American gene flow into Polynesia predating Easter Island settlement. Now, I know I have a lot of nerds uh, in the audience, and so you guys will probably kind of be familiar with it, but um, there's a lot of interesting new stuff. And I'm here with the first author, uh, Alexander Ioannidis. Uh, Alexander, can you introduce yourself? Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, Alex uh, Ioannidis, and uh, I'm a uh, researcher at Stanford in the Department of Biomedical Data Science. Um, I got my PhD at Stanford as well in computational mathematical engineering. So I'm a sort of algorithm person, and I've really enjoyed applying algorithms and machine learning to uh, ancestry and genomics with uh, my advisor, Dr. Uh, Carlos Bustamante. Um, yeah. Carlos, great. Yeah. Um, Carlos has is, is, is been an amazing advisor, and uh, I've really been fortunate to get involved in this work um, together with uh, another collaborator of ours, Dr. Andres Moreno Estrada, who is a uh, PI in Mexico at Langevio, which is an institute uh, for uh, genomic biodiversity in Mexico. So this is a study uh, that came from a number of samples uh, collected from across eastern Polynesia. Um, Andres uh, collected some of these samples from Easter Island, and uh, some collaborators in Chile collected the other, the other half of the Easter Island samples. And with this broad spectrum of samples from across Eastern Polynesia, we were able to really look in depth at the question that has come up again and again uh, over the last 100 years, which is, was there contact between Polynesians and Native Americans predating uh, the age of exploration when Europeans first showed up in the Americas and the Pacific? Yeah, I mean, this is... Um... As listeners know, this is a topic that has been very interesting to a lot of people for a long time. Um, you know, we, we do have to mention Tor Heyerdahl. He did come up in the paper. So Tor Heyerdahl was kind of an adventurer, kind of like a little bit of an Indiana Jones of his day. He had all these theories about migrations and diffusion of peoples and lost races and all this stuff. Uh, very, very kind of like mid-20th century. And he tried to show that I think you could use a special type of um, the, the, the type of boats or crafts that they use in coastal co South America. You could go to Polynesia and there was some contact between Polynesia and, um, you know, mainland South America. Now, I know that people like to say that what Hardall was saying was, oh, well, that means that Polynesia was settled from the Americas. But really, um, my understanding is he had a more moderate position where there was just contact between the two and there might have been settlement from both directions. And so... This paper kind of comes in the tradition of that sort of question, and until very, very recently, there has been a lot of skepticism about this because the earliest um, genetic work, I mean, even before genetics, if you look at Polynesians, um, you know, they look kind of like Asiatic people, a lot of them, Asian people, East Asian. Um, with the archaeology, there's, you know, linguistic similarities between people all the way from Madagascar to Easter Island. 
So, you know, I mean, that that's a Southeast Asian language, you know, related to the languages of the aboriginals of Taiwan. Um, there just seems to be a lot of points of evidence to this Asian origin. On the other hand, um, you know, there's something like the sweet potato, which turns out to come from South America. And as you mentioned in your paper, the word for sweet potato in Austronesian languages and Polynesian languages and some of these, um, you know, native languages in the New World is very similar. So what's what's going on with that? Um, and there have been a, a variety of papers. Um, there's a paper related to chicken genomics and, you know, other sorts of domesticates or, or crops trying to get at this question. And there was an earlier paper looking at Easter Island in particular. So I think what we have here is, okay, we have the question. It's still kind of unresolved. And what Alex and his colleagues did is like, okay, let's use modern genomics and have a huge sample size and use best of breed modern methods to explore this question. Do you think that's a, that's a good, um, you know, summary of what was going on here? Like why this is different? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great summary. Um, I think there's, there's a, a couple interesting points, um, around that. So I, I agree with you that Thor Heyerdahl had really, um, pioneered the and, and had even constructed a craft and and um taken it uh, sailed it himself uh to demonstrate that one could uh sail and drift with the currents from south america to the polynesian islands um and but actually it's an idea that even predates thor heyerdahl uh, he doesn't get much credit for it but uh, john mcmillan brown uh had uh, posited this uh, as long ago as 1924 uh, that there there might have been some sort of contact between the Americas and and the uh, Eastern Polynesian Islands and and um, Easter Island in particular. I think though that one of the things that's really unique about our study is that we looked for contact outside of Easter Island. And although we have uh, many more samples from Easter Island than any prior, previous study, um, I, I think it's really the 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 breadth of the samples outside of Easter Island that allowed us to to paint this fuller picture. Uh, Easter Island has a really complicated history in recent times. Um, it's part of Chile now and has a lot of immigration from Chile. And Chileans uh, themselves have a lot of ancestry from Native Americans. It's uh, Chile is a Hispanic population, so Spanish influence and also Native American influence. And so the modern Easter Islanders have have both uh, a Native American component from from the Chileans who have come, and the potential for having a Native American uh, component from more ancient times, and so it makes it really hard to see in the modern Easter Islanders uh, the difference between these two. Um, so it was really, I think, also having and 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 deciding to look in these other islands, which which nobody had ever really focused on before. Uh, so our sample sizes from some of those other islands are are smaller than. Uh, prior studies of Easter Island. Uh, there was a previous study in 2014 that had 27 samples from Easter Island, and we have actually only 25 from North Marquesas and and fewer from some of the other islands. But um, but we were able to, using some of our new methods, see the Native American signal even with those small sample sizes on these other islands. And by finding it on these other islands, we we concluded that the contact event between Native Americans and Polynesians it must have occurred before. Um, before the settlement of some of these islands. And then the Native American component was taken along with the settlers to the islands as they, as they founded them. Um, and so it's, you find it spread throughout several of these Eastern Polynesian islands. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I want to get into those scenarios in a bit, but, um, and cause like, you know, one there's, you know, I mean, kind of some abstruse statistical methods you use that are kind of interesting. I think listeners will want to know 
you know, like the guts of that. And also like they present different scenarios and there's different peoples and you did get a fair amount of granularity. So when we're saying Native Americans, we're going to get down to a little bit more detail as we proceed in this podcast, right? Um, but I want to, I want to, you know, back up and, and talk about the Polynesians first, just so listeners who did not listen to our previous uh, podcast on Polynesia, and, and I'll put that in the show notes, I think, um, so that they can listen to that if they want to. Um, you know, the Polynesians are part of the Austronesian expansion, right? So you're talking about Easter Island. That's one kind of antipode of this great expansion of maritime peoples from Southeast Asia that started probably on the order of like 3,000, maybe a little bit earlier, um, you know, in time scale. And so you have Easter Island at one end, almost at South America. And then at the other end, you have Madagascar with Malagasy people who speak a language very similar to certain dialects in Borneo. They're the other end of the Austronesian expansion. Now, Austronesian and Polynesian are not um, coterminous. Uh, Polynesians are a subset of Austronesians. And, you know, they're distinguished by the fact that, for example, they're not rice farmers. Uh, you know, they, they switch to other other types of crops. There's a complex interaction with people in near Oceania, in Melanesia, uh, that occurred. And there's been a lot of ancient DNA work, genetic work, focusing on the western part of Polynesia in particular. Um, so recently they found that the Australasia, Australasian or, um, you know, Melanesian ancestry that you do find in a lot of a lot of uh, these Polynesian peoples seems to have come later than the initial expansion of the Lapita people. And so there is a lot of history, a lot of detail, a lot of demographic movements, actually, even aside from the Native American aspect, that we really don't understand and I think are still being explored. And so that's one of the reasons why genetics is so powerful, though, because, I mean, we don't have written histories of these peoples. These are these oral peoples that expanded across this ocean. And in terms of time scale, um, my understanding is they didn't really make it out to uh, out to the regional Polynesia you're focusing on, Alex, until like between 580 to 1080. Is that right? Is that what we're thinking about? That's that's right. In fact, even even later than that, um, you know, the recent uh, recent dating uh, analyses have have suggested that they didn't make it out into Eastern Polynesia uh, until after 1000 AD. Um, so, so yeah, um, it quite, quite recent in, in sort of historical time. Um, very interesting expansion though. It's a, it's a really difficult region to settle. These islands are separated by, uh, you know, thousands of kilometers of open ocean. Um, and it's just fascinating to think about, um, these, these people, uh, intrepid explorers going to islands that at first they didn't even know would be there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is my, this might sound trivial to to some listeners, but um, you know that um, I think it was like a Pixar, I think uh, Moana, and you know I know it was oriented towards kids, but there was a lot in that story about how just you know like frankly like a little bit crazy these huge you know these like these travels these voyages were, and how even the Polynesians themselves sometimes when they kind of stabilized it didn't you know, have these migrations, like they had a hard time understanding, okay, like what were our ancestors doing? And I think that that's an anthropological aspect that um, I don't really have, because look, I mean, Madagascar was, I mean, it, they are a mixed people of African and Southeast Asian origin, but it looks like the Polynesians uh, or the Austronesians were the ones that first arrived. So, you know, they touched a lot of places in the world that no other people had gone, and it's relatively recently. And so we don't know what's going on here. Um why they decided to just like expand all over the place. Um, you know, I would hypothesize maybe something related to religion, but you know, there's a lot of different people, a lot of diverse people. So I don't know what's going on there, but that's, it's pretty amazing. I think people need to consider that. Um, 
So we're talking about dating and we're talking about these different peoples. Um, can you step through a little bit of, about like the methods and the figures of like, okay, like you did some admixture analysis and you saw this and um, you did some local, you know, a PCA, local ancestry um, analysis uh, with the Easter Island versus the Marquesas. Could you just break that down in terms of like what the Marquesas samples added, why it was easier to get the power out of those than the Easter Island where you had, I think you had different signals and the averages were affecting your dates and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I did read the paper, so, you know, yeah. thank you for letting me read it ahead of time, but I mean, there's a lot of detail in there. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so yeah, I think the, the interesting thing um, about, about Easter Island, as I mentioned already, is that it, it's had a lot of... Um, it's a lot of admixture in recent times from Chile that also brings Native American ancestry. And so it's sort of one of the most complex places to, to analyze this, um, this sort of uh, question of Native American contact. And we were fortunate to have samples from South Marquesas, which is uh, close to the equator. Um, so far, far to the north. Uh, uh, Easter Island is actually uh, one of the southernmost uh, and islands in, in Polynesia, and it's very temperate. It's not tropical. Uh, beautiful place. Um, but so, so, and then we also had samples from Mangareva, which is in the Tuamotos, which is part of French Polynesia and also Tahiti, uh, some other islands from, from the Eastern Polynesia. And the advantage of looking in those islands for the native American contact is that, uh, in, in most of those islands, there is not a history, uh, in, in recent times of contact with Latin America. And so unlike Easter Island, which is, as I mentioned, uh, uh part of Chile, we can much more easily identify if we do find Native American segments there. Um, we can identify their their date when they were introduced in a simpler way because we don't have multiple waves of more recent ancestry coming in. Uh, so we we did do an admixture analysis, as you mentioned, and um, we we definitely see the Native American uh, throughout not just Easter Island, but uh, but the Marquesas uh, and and Mangareva and and the Tuamotos in in general. Um, which is really, really interesting. Uh, and I think it's, it's really interesting. When I first got involved in this project, I, I, was, I wondered why people hadn't looked in these other islands before. And it was one of the first things I wanted to look at. In fact, when Thor Heyerdahl uh, sailed his raft from South America to demonstrate that this is possible uh, to get to Polynesia with, uh, with technology they had at the time, he, he didn't end up in Easter Island. Actually, the currents took him to one of the islands where we found this Native American component, we, to the the Tuamotos, um, and that's that's because the the way that the currents go, uh, you know, in around around the Earth is is these sort of uh, cycles, and in the southern hemisphere, the the cycle is counterclockwise, and so it's coming across uh, at the equator from South America towards the Polynesian islands. So you end up somewhere closer to the equator uh, when you hit Polynesia. So. It's, uh, it's definitely an interesting place to look, and no one had looked there before. Um, so so after, after doing the admixture analysis and, and seeing the Native American component, which, as I mentioned before, others had seen it in Easter Island, but they hadn't been able to disentangle the modern versus ancient, uh, we, we did uh, a tracks analysis, which is where we, we, we ran uh, local ancestry. So we identified the segments along the genome that are Native American or, or European or Polynesian, et cetera. And then we, we look at the segment length, and from the segment length, we can infer how many generations ago the contact occurred because recombination breaks up these segments every generation. You get smaller and smaller segments, and you get a, a very characteristic distribution. And so we showed really, really nice, uh, clean uh, decay of those segment lengths um, on a semi-log plot. We have uh, almost perfect uh, linear fits to, to our points. I'm really confident about the uh, the dating there. 
on on these other islands where we had really only a single contact event with Native American. Um, and on Easter Island, of course, is more complicated, as I said. And so from that, we were able to date when this when this uh, you know event would have taken place. Um, and and for the different islands, we we get dates around the the very late 1100s or the um, just the beginning of of the 13th century, 1200. Um, so this is interesting too because this is right around the time that uh, people have uh, the most recent estimates put. Uh, the Polynesians settling these most remote of the Eastern Polynesian islands. So basically right around the time that, that these islands are, are being settled for the first time, that's when we see the contact event uh, occurring with Native Americans. So kind of speculate on, on what that means. Mm, yeah. But, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so honestly, like reading this paper, I'm, I think that you, you know, have kind of established to a high degree um, a lot of the details of the contact. Um, um, I, I do think that it's obvious that the contact happened even before this paper, just because of the sweet potato, and we can talk about that a little later. Uh, but, you know, you've established some of the parameters here. So instead of focusing on Easter Island, which kind of makes sense why people would focus on Easter Island because it's close to South America, but now that you're talking about the currents, like, oh, well, of course, after the fact, the Marquesas look a little better. Um, the, another issue is, like, I want to bring up um, with, I think, like, your figure, it's figure one, um, there is some differentiation. Like you guys have enough power to figure out like which native groups it was closer to, right? Yeah, that's right. And let me mention, by the way, since you brought up the sweet potato, I'll just uh, mention very quickly that that you're right. Um, finding the sweet potato, which was domesticated in the Americas, um, spread throughout Polynesia, is definitely a sign that that something took place. Although recently. Um, uh, people, there, there is a paper that came out suggesting that it's possible that the sweet potato was introduced, uh, was not introduced by humans, um, and and somehow got there um, without the intervention of humans. And so there, there has always been this trend in the literature. I feel that to, to suggest contact, it's sort of a a, um, a sort of radical notion, especially since Thor Heyerdahl really was um, sort of uh, a lot of the community. In, in his later years sort of turned against his theories and it, it became sort of a, a, a taboo thing to suggest that that there really had been contact. And so I think some of the more mature, let's say, members of the field have, have somehow um, leaned towards thinking that, that contact is is uh, is, uh, is unlikely. So well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, contact is the boring explanation or not the boring. It's the exciting explanation. And I think sometimes in science we have a bias towards boring because we don't want to go towards what we as humans really think is cool. Cause I think it's cooler to imagine contacts between people rather than something just floating along. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and I think, yeah, I think there's, there's some sort of, uh, uh, of the, um, prior that's, you know, weighted, uh, especially for scientists who, who tend to be skeptical and, and, and our prior is sort of against something that seems, uh, a little bit, you know, unusual or, or radical. And so it, it takes a higher level of proof to, to show it. And, and I think people sort of lean to explanations that might, might explain it, uh, using some simpler, simpler method. And sort of that did happen with the sweet potato. People had started suggesting actually that maybe it, it didn't have to do with people, uh, bringing it from the Americas. But, uh, but I think we've definitely shown that, that there was uh, human contact and, and it's quite possible then that that did bring the sweet potato. Um, it's not unreasonable to think about when you think of these huge distances involved that the Polynesians spanned, and we know they spanned them, to get to these islands and settle them. Uh, so for them to, to 
to you know bridge the the last distance to the Americas is certainly not um, outlandish at all. Um, so I think it's it's uh, it's a pretty interesting story. Yeah, I mean, so you know, figure one of your paper is actually probably uh, the figure that listeners um, would want to look at. It really illustrates clearly after the fact with some hindsight why um you know these native peoples would go to the market or you know they would arrive in the marquesas first just with the way the currents are because it just doesn't make sense that you could make it to rapa nui to easter island from the mainland um unless you had like a i don't know a steamboat or a clipper ship or something but like some really really advanced uh seagoing skills probably whereas the currents take you straight it's like a straight shot um to the Marquesas. And so then what you're hypothesizing, which I think, you know, is obviously plausible is that it's the, that the genes and the people kind of like mixed into that region at some level. And then Easter Island was later seeded by this group. And then there was later native, native gene flow from the mainland, which um, in your admixture plot is actually quite different. So you have enough samples to show that the peoples of Chile um, are of a different cluster than the people of, say, north into Peru and Colombia and then even north into Central America. And this older stuff, this older Native Native American ancestry, indigenous American ancestry in the Polynesians is like the more northern stuff, right? I mean, you really establish that pretty clearly in the samples that aren't Rapa Nui. That's, that's right. Um, so, so absolutely. And in fact, we show also in, um, in our in our figure uh, in the supplement, we, we show uh, really nicely that this Native American component that is associated with modern uh, groups from Chile, it increases in Easter Islanders it directly in proportion to their European component. So basically what that tells us, and we, we use this new method of log ratio covariance uh, to do this, that tells you that the European and is coming together with the Chilean Native American component into e- Easter Island. And that's that's modern day Chileans coming into Easter Island. And that's why the two components are are correlated in their in the, the fraction that you see in modern Easter Islanders. But we don't see that correlation in modern Easter Islanders with the northern, which is the more Colombian Native American component. That component is, is basically correlated with the uh, amount of Polynesian that a modern Easter Islander has. And, and that suggests that that component is something that was that was there from from before the island was. Uh, was discovered by Europeans and and was mixed in very evenly with the uh, with the Polynesian and you can see that in the admixture plot there in Figure One, which is a sort of quite even level of the uh, of the in Figure One it's green uh, the more northern Native American component and that tells you this even level meaning that there's not very much variance tells you that it's a it's a very old component that's reached sort of equilibrium in the population. Whereas the the newer, more Chilean Native American component, it's is variable. You can see between individuals, there's a lot of of difference in in their percent uh, component for that, and that's because it's it's recent and it hasn't hasn't reached equilibrium in the population yet. So, um, you know, I I want to get this clear. I just like maybe I, I read the paper a little too fast. So you're hypothesizing that um, the most likely candidate for this ancestry is from say the coast of Ecuador north into Colombia along the Pacific. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And is that based on genetics, or is that because, like, I mean, I see that like um, the ancestry of the mixed tech and uh, Zapotec uh, samples are is quite similar to that. Is that based on genetics, or is that based on the biogeography of the currents, where this is the most likely candidate of where people leave? 
So it's it's actually based on genetics, and and it, um, this is a debate we had when we were setting up this paper. Um, so we put the admixture plot first because you know I know everyone expects to see that, and and we wanted to have it there. But actually, the the really meaty plot um, comes later, and it's it's actually our last figure, which is figure four, and this is a, a new uh, sort of ancestry specific dimensionality reduction uh, method that that I developed for exactly this problem, for being able to localize very, very tiny components. So we have these very, very tiny Native American components on these islands, and we want to know exactly where in the Americas they came from. And um, and using this method, uh, what you can see is that we, we localized independently from every island where in the Americas did that very small Native American component that we find on that island, where did it come from? And independently for every, of every one of these islands, we find that it comes most most closely, at least, to the uh, to the Zenu, uh, which is an indigenous population in Colombia. Um, so, so it's the genetics that's telling us that that this Native American population um, that that contacted the Polynesians, it came from somewhere around Colombia or Ecuador. All right, and yeah, and so yeah, I did see that. So, um, you know, I, we don't need to go too much into the weeds, but I actually kind of want to know a little bit about this method. Uh, can you talk about it a little? I mean, it is yeah, figure, sure. it's a really beautiful figure, but can you talk about like the, like how you got to it? Yeah. So I mean, what we do is we, we first mask out all the Polynesian uh, ancestry chromosome segments from, from each of these islands so that we have only the Native American segments. And there aren't very many of them left, of course, because these islands are, are you know, less than just a few percent when we're talking like, you know, two to, to three percent uh, Native American. Uh, so then we combine all of those segments together uh, the Native American segments, and we get a, a sort of frequency uh, at every SNP for for the variant, but only when it was observed in a Native American segment. Still, we're going to have a lot of missing data. Um, and so we have to handle that missing data. So so basically, we use a matrix completion method um, that that's uh, sort of a signal processing technique. And really, a lot of this is about denoising, because which is something, you know, uh, I have a lot of experience with from from engineering. It's it's a big problem in computational uh, engineering in, in general, um, denoising data when you don't have very much signal. And so we basically have a, a, a form of PCA that allows you to, to denoise successfully when you're missing a huge amount of data um, and be able to, to localize uh, this component against the reference panel of, uh, in this case, Native American uh, individuals sequenced across the Pacific coast of the Americas, all the way from Mexico down to the, the tip of uh, Chile, and, uh, and see exactly where in that spectrum our Polynesian Native American ancestry lies. Um, so yeah, and the other interesting thing is we, of course, also looked at the Native American ancestry in the, in the modern Easter Islanders who have a lot of European ancestry. And those who have a lot of European ancestry, as I mentioned, that's correlated with the, with the Native American ancestry also coming from uh, Chile through the Hispanic uh, immigration. And in those individuals, we see most closely related to, to Chileans, as we would expect. But for, for everyone else, um, including for the few Easter Island samples we have who have no European ancestry. Um, they have a little bit of Native American, of course, because of this earlier contact event, and they also cluster with, uh, with the Colombians. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's cool. I mean, this is, this is one of those things where it's like you had a lot of samples, you had like modern genomic data with these, uh, with these SNP arrays. They're SNP arrays, right? That's right. This is a uh, genotype data, SNP arrays, yeah. yeah. 
and then you bring in your your um your engineering computer science magic you know um this is this is just like a whole new world of extracting signal from that noise right um can you talk a little bit about like the cultural aspects because i think there was a something related to the to the moai i think yeah Columbia, like that—that that was fascinating to me. Like, I mean, I know that you're not a cultural anthropologist, but you must have, you know, done a little research. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I, I I love this field because I mean, applying math and computation to history is 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 my dream. So, uh, I, I definitely like history. Um, and th- this is a fascinating uh, place to to sort of see these cultural and historical connections. So, I mean, this is this gets into a little bit of speculation, but. Thor Heyerdahl, of course, came up with his ideas based on the, the Moais, which are these very tall stone, uh, these megaliths, uh, statues that you find on Easter Island. And I'm, I'm sure most people are, are familiar with these um, and have seen pictures of them before. And it, it's those statues that have really attracted, I think, most of the attention of researchers to Easter Island to the exclusion of the other islands. And I think that's a little unfortunate because it sort of led people to look at this place where it's most complicated to see the Native American contact. Um, but it, it was a clue that, that led them in the first place to think that there might be some contact because there's always the question of where did this culture of making these huge stone statues come from? And you do find things like that in the Americas. In fact, it's, it's kind of intriguing that there is a site, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, actually, uh, that I found out about when I was reading Thor Heyerdahl's original book. Um, that is in Colombia, which has very, you know, large stone statues of a, of a similar sort of, to a, you know, to a layman, a similar look to what one might see on Easter Island. Um, and, and that's interesting to think about. Now, this is, it's not clear that, that this, uh, that there really is a cultural connection there. Um, but it, that's, that's where these original hypotheses came from for, for Brown in 1924. And then later Thor all sort of piggybacking off of Brown's idea um, that these statues on Easter Island are connected maybe to what you see on the Pacific coast of, of the Americas. Uh, interestingly, you see these statues, although they don't get as much attention, you see some of them on the Marquesas too. Um, and that's, that's very interesting. Um, so all of these places linked by these megalithic statues. Well, so, I mean, you know, can you outline some of the scenarios of like, okay, like was these, were these raids by the Polynesians? Did the Americans get swept away and they landed on these islands? I mean, because obviously, um, you know, I don't know if the archaeologists have like thought about, because some of these are kind of crazy ideas now, but I, I think we do have to entertain them because the genetic data is pretty compelling. Um, can you outline some of them for the listeners? Yeah, some of the some of the sort of speculative ideas about how what might have taken place here. Um, so what what we do see, um, and this is in our in our figure four as well. Um, so to try to tease out some of these questions, I looked at uh, shared DNA segments between between the different islands, between individuals who live on the different islands, and specifically, I looked only at those shared DNA segments, and that means these are segments that you you inherit because you had a common ancestor. I looked at only the ones that were in Native American chromosomal regions. So basically, you know, do these different islands share the same Native American ancestors? And the answer is yes. The network is very clear. Um, and this, this we contrasted with our earlier figure three, where we show it for European segments. And it's not the case that the different islands uh, share the same European ancestors. And of course, that's because some of them were settled by French, uh, French Polynesians, some by Spanish, like Easter Island, et cetera. Um, so definitely the, it was the same group of Native Americans, the same ancestors that, that left this component um, 
that sort of bequeathed it to all of these Eastern Polynesian islands that have it. So it really looks like it was a single contact event. And again, one that took place probably somewhere around the very late 1100s um, CE. Uh, What exactly happened I think there's two two possibilities. So as I mentioned already, this this is the date range when these islands were it it looks like first being settled. So it's possible that the this is the period when the Polynesians were really at their greatest expansion. Um, they they were you know discovering new islands. There was uh, you know a, a real tradition and culture of of uh, going out and a prince or some and, and and establishing your own new island and your new kingdom. And it's possible at this time crossing thousands of kilometers of open ocean, uh, that that one of these groups, uh, Polynesians, discovered the Americas and, and came somewhere in, in the, you know, Ecuador, Colombia region and reached the coast. This is, it's also possible from the navigational theories uh, that the Polynesians would often go up upwind and against the current because that way they knew that if they didn't find any island, they could always turn back and come back quickly. And so that, that upwind navigation would have taken them, because again, we said that the winds and the currents bring you very easily from South America, from like Colombia, Ecuador, around the equator, to the Marquesas. That means that somebody in the Marquesas who's trying to explore or in the Tuamotos would, going upwind, would end up hitting the coast of South America around Colombia and Ecuador. So that's one possibility. Um, and then, of course, the other possibility is that Native Americans are the ones who cross the uh, Across the last leg of the ocean, and that they, on their boats, arrived somewhere in the Marquesas or the Tuamotos and contacted the Polynesians there when the Polynesians first arrived, which is again in the 1100s, um, creating this contact event and, and mixing this uh, gene- genetic component. And then again, it was spread uh, to all the other islands in subsequent colonization, which is why they all share the same Native American ancestry. Um, the, the what supports that theory is um, some prior, um, you know, work on the trade routes that actually existed, which is really fascinating. And I learned about this in this work. I hadn't known about this before, but between the coast of Colombia and, and Ecuador and the Pacific coast of southern Mexico, there were actually voyaging trade routes. And that's because there were a lot of uh, metals in the Andes that were important to the Mesoamerican civilizations. And so it was valuable to have these trade routes. And if people are, are sailing back and forth right between Ecuador and southern Mexico, then you can imagine that, that they get blown off course and, and end up uh, out in the, in the Pacific. So that's possible. And it's, it's interesting, those trade routes um, existed there in Colombia, Ecuador region, because that's the first place on the um, coast of, of South America as you work your way uh, up from Peru, where you actually have enough timber growing near the coast to, to make, you know, seaworthy vessels. Because as you go down south, as you get into Peru, it becomes very, very dry. And you have, you know, eventually the Atacama Desert in Chile near the coast. And so there's just really no building materials for, for boats down there, which is another sort of reason that it would have been hard for Native Americans from further south to get uh, directly to Easter Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... Um there's a lot of like kind of like moving parts there. I mean, something is, is correct. And probably we need different types of, I mean, I, I'm assuming that like, you know, we can eliminate some sort of continuous gene flow because the evidence from the genetic segment length was just so clear to you. That's right. It's, it's a real clear, uh, single pulse. And, and since we see the same, you know, that all of these islands share the same native American ancestry with these shared, uh, genetic segments, these IBD segments. So that tells us that, um, 
And those those islands were settled, as I as I mentioned. I mean, Easter Island is believed to have been settled around, you know, twelve twenty, twelve thirty, something like this. So it, it's hard to believe that there would have been you know continued contact at least across all of those islands, spanning you know thousands of kilometers of, of ocean from from the equator all the way down to the the colder waters of Easter Island. So yeah, I think it was probably a single event. We see that with the dating segments, and 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 then it, the Native American component was spread along with. Uh, the Polynesian as the other islands were settled. But uh, who, who it was who, who was responsible for that contact is is something that uh, it's it's not exactly clear, I would say. It definitely, it was a Native American group out of the Colombia-Ecuador region, but were they the ones to travel into the Pacific or was it Polynesians who, who got to Colombia and Ecuador? Um, we can't say. Yeah, I mean, so I have, like, uh, you know, as we're winding down here, I'm this fascinating, obviously, and I'm I, you know what? One thing is I have to say is like just listening to you talk right now, someone's going to be writing a historical novel about that or a prehistoric novel or whatever you want to call it, because um, this presents so many novelistic uh, narrative uh, options because it's just so fascinating. It's almost I mean, this is first contact. right? This could be first contact. Um, so it, it's like a human prehistoric context of first contact between these you know, different branches of East Eurasian people that have been expanding across the oceans and Siberia and stuff. Um, one thing that I, that I, I do wonder about is, uh, you know, it seems like a little coincidental with your admixture date and about when the Polynesians showed up. So it seems like this was maybe an issue where it was coinc- It was like, you know, there was a small number of Polynesians and, you know, maybe there were these native people stranded and so it was a fortuitous time because um a lot of times when you have um you know stranded you know shipwrecked people um the reception is not positive from the locals especially in kind of a malthusian environment of an island where there's finite resources so um i'm just putting it out there i think like you know ships were probably blown off course regularly but there were only a very narrow window of times and periods where their extra labor might have been useful to the native peoples of a given of a given region. And um, I don't know that much about like you know the agricultural toolkit and whatnot, but it seems like the Polynesians had figured out how to survive and engage in primary production on these islands um, in a way that would probably be better than people from say coastal Colombia. I mean, does that make sense? No, that it does make sense. Although, if the sweet potato was part of this contact, that would be a really valuable cultural, um, you know, uh, agricultural item. That it's that it was what they, it's what they could show them, right? Like, so that's kind of like proof of their utility. But but yeah, I, I think it's it is possible that somehow you know some Native Americans had got to one of these very small islands at, and and were living there. And um, when that island was discovered by the Polynesians, there was a, a, a sizable enough population on it that when they came into contact, uh, there was actually a detectable genetic component left as a result. Whereas I, I agree with you that if it, it was just three, three, uh, you know, adults on a boat, it's hard to believe that you would see a, a genetic, uh, uh, legacy of that. I mean, the other possibility is the Polynesians reached the coast of the Americas and for, for a short time had a small settlement there. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely did go back and forth when they settled these islands, they maintained contact. It's incredible, but we can, you can see that with the geological, um, uh, you know, you, you can see the, the the artifacts that are on the different islands, and they would come from lava on on you know islands that are a thousand kilometers away. I mean, artifacts on Hawaii come from the Marquesas, which is a, an enormous journey. So, so you know, maybe there was a brief period, a window of history where there was a little bit of back and forth, um, and and that's that's what happened. I, 
many things are possible. It's it's interesting that when Thor Heyerdahl was uh, was first beginning everything in in the Pacific, he actually went to South Marquesas, and that's where he had his honeymoon, and that's where he first heard locals tell the story that they had actually come not from the west, but their legend was they had come from the east. Um, the east is, of course, the Americas, um, and that's what first picked you know pricked his interest in in this all. And it's interesting that it, you know we've come full circle and we're back to the Marquesas again, looking at this possibility of uh, of contact with the Native Americans getting there. Well, so working on this project, has this changed your priors in terms of like what kind of oddities you can find in genetic data and evidence of ancient migrations? Yeah, I, I think it definitely has has made me um, think that there, there may be more to some of these. I think it's really worth, I should say, investigating some of these legends. Uh, you know, there's a kernel of truth often. They germinate from somewhere. And of course, their their you know myths are 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 exaggerated and et cetera. But I think dismissing them out of hand, we lose a lot of our our own you know cultural history that 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 has you know genetically drifted as it were, and the stories uh, as they've been told. But there's you know something there, and I think it's really interesting that we can now start actually getting in detail um, some answers to the reality of these stories with the genomic data. And it's it's something that we're going to be able to do more and more as we get more and more data. I mean, the, the size of the data really helps with detecting these signals. But also, it's something that, you know, and I think we showed this in this paper, even with with modest numbers of samples, and we're talking about 20 samples from each of these islands or, or less, um, we can really detect a very, very fine scale signal. Um, and, and that's something really interesting about, um, you know, the, the development of methods and, and things that we're we're able to do these days. So um, I, I'm really excited to to see these sort of things applied uh, to other sort of outstanding questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean, I mean, weird things, quote unquote, weird things are going to come out. Like you know, the nom. You know, we still don't know. Um, you know, listeners to this podcast know about like you know the Austral Melanesian or whatever ancestry in those Amazonian tribes. I don't think anyone still has a really good explanation, and it's even been found in one of the ancient samples. So um, you know. We still don't know what's going on there. I mean, there's just. A, I mean, this is not. This is the insight. This is not ancient aliens, but um, yeah. <laughs> there are some mysteries out there. Um, as we close out, you know, I, I do want to ask you. Like, um, I'm sure you had some archaeologists or you know prehistorians that are you're collaborating with now um, that you've told these results um, in preliminary form. Like, what is their reaction? Like, you know, what kind of flights of fancy are there? Are, are their minds good? Because like they know all these other things, and maybe other things are snapping into place. Like, have you gotten any feedback in that direction? Yeah. Um, so definitely, um, there was a, lo- a lot of excitement from um, from the I would call it the the, the Norwegians and and other uh, people from the the general legacy of Thor Heyerdahl um, because uh, I think a lot of people had really wanted to see, uh, especially people who who had you know been part of his research team and 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 legacy students and things had really wanted to see his theories sort of proven out and so they were certainly very excited. Um, when they found out about this, uh, the opportunity to present some of these results uh, at, at a conference they'd organized, there, there's a lot of uh, you know talk about the Peruvian civilizations, and that's sort of what Thor had had focused on. Um, and there are some really interesting ancient civilizations and pyramids, even right on the coast in Peru. And so that's something that that people have been interested in. But I think you know what we're showing here is that it's it's not. It's the contact didn't occur where anyone thought it 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 would have. It, it occurred, uh, you know, not in Easter Island, but but far to the north, 
And it didn't come from where anyone was sort of suspecting it did, uh, not from Peru and not from Chile, but actually from, from somewhere around Colombia, Ecuador. So I think this leaves uh, a lot of new fertile territory for people to start trying to, you know, figure out and ask the, the archaeological questions of, uh, you know, what, what exactly happened here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have to say it's, um, the, the general, the general hypothesis has kind of been validated. There was just like some specific detail here where we were looking in the wrong place and that that's what you figured out here. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, and of course, you know, I, th- I hope this this puts to rest uh, the sort of debate which has been going on and, and it fluctuates back and forth as to whether the contact happened at all or didn't happen um, now that we've been able to show it with several different modalities. Um, so now people can really start going forward and, and asking, you know, exactly how did it happen and, um, you know, who, who are the who are the guys who 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 reached whom? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so it was um, really great talking to you. I know you have to go, Alex. Um, so the, the paper is Native American Gene Flow into Polynesia, Predating East Island Settlement. It is in nature. So, um, you know, I'll have that in the show notes for the listeners. This is really interesting, really fascinating. Um, you know, it's great talking to you and I'm hoping to hear from you in the future, Alex. Thank you, Razib. It's Thank been you. great talking.